The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, welcome to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, a board-certified plastic surgeon, and I'm delighted to be here today. We're going to have a great show. This is a really interesting day that we're going to have. We're going to be talking about all the things you think are true about plastic surgery that maybe aren't so true. There's a lot of misbeliefs out there, a lot of misinformation, and some of it has become common knowledge. There are things that people believe are absolutely true when it comes to cosmetic surgery, aesthetic procedures that, are, are, that couldn't be further from the truth. And today we're going to talk all about those things. We're going to be joined in just a little while by two experts in cosmetic surgery and uh, aesthetic procedures. We're going to be joined by Dr. Grant Stevens, who practices in California, and uh, Dr. Julius Few, who practices in Chicago, Illinois. And we're going to talk about all of these things that we all hear in our offices and that you hear with your friends and your family talking about aesthetic procedures and products. And uh, y- you might think you know the answers to these things, but you may be surprised at some of the things we'll talk about today. There's a lot of stuff that really are not the case that y- you believe truly are. I, the first thing I want to talk about before we introduce our guest, to make clear, when I introduce guests in this show, we always talk about them being board-certified plastic surgeons. And there's a big misconception out there about cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery being equivalent. That is simply not true. Plastic surgery is a huge field and plastic surgeons are all trained to do things as complex as burn surgery, reconstructions of any part of the body, moving tissue from one part of your body to another to do a reconstruction. There's all sorts of things that plastic surgeons are trained and capable of doing that are not cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgeons are not that's not a regulated term. Anyone can call themselves a cosmetic surgeon. In fact, here in Miami, there are people that have absolutely no surgical training that call themselves cosmetic surgeons. And you got to be careful. Plastic surgeon and cosmetic surgeon are not the same thing. If you're looking to have a procedure done, you really ought to be looking for a properly board-certified plastic surgeon and be careful if you're seeing someone who calls himself a cosmetic surgeon. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce our guests for today. I've got Dr. Grant Stevens and Dr. Julius Few joining the show. We're privileged to have them both, and they're very involved with the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. Dr. Stevens, Dr. Few, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you both on the air. Uh, you know, this is a topic that we all hear about, and our staff hears about it every day, every day in the office. We're hearing things that may and, and may not really be true about plastic surgery. So I, I, I'm really grateful to have you guys on the air so we can talk about some of these things. 
And uh, we've all, just so everyone knows, we've taken some time to put a, a few lists together of the common things that we hear, all of us, uh, Dr. Few's office, Dr. Stevens' office, we've gotten a list together, and we're going to run down some of the things that we are familiar with, but I encourage you, if you have an idea about plastic surgery or a question about something that we're talking about, call the show. Call in to 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Call toll-free, and we'll have someone take your call and get you on the air as soon as we can to talk about your question. But gentlemen, uh, let's get right to it. The thing that I hear, and I, in fact, my wife brought this up to me, and so I hear it a lot. When we first met, you know, I introduced myself, and she said, oh, you're a plastic surgeon. No, you guys make freaks. Plastic surgery is obvious. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I, I hear the same thing, and uh, it's, it's very funny. There was uh, actually a post on uh, ABC News yesterday about uh, um, kind of a backlash against plastic surgery because of just that, that point, that a lot of people think that it's, it's an obvious thing. And what my answer would be to that is that, in my opinion, good plastic surgery should never be obvious. The best plastic surgery is surgery that helps to give balance or restore balance to whatever area you're treating. And that's, in, in, I think, in true definition, um, the ideal for, for good plastic surgery. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, I always tell people that for every one you see, and listen, we're here in Miami, and uh, for better or worse, there's a lot of people who uh, anyone would agree are probably overdone, whether you're looking at exaggerated breast augmentations or facelifts that have been done for the third or fourth time, or, or even once just done poorly. And for every one of those that you see, dozens of people that go by that just look great, and you really have no idea they've had anything done. You know, this goes along with no one I know has had plastic surgery. You know, when people uh, looking for examples, and they, you know, they say, oh, it's not for everyone. No one I know has had plastic surgery. No, when we're thinking about, I can't afford it, sometimes people will say, well, no one I know has plastic surgery. It's really for just the rich people. And, and that's also not true. And certainly in my office, we're getting a good number of people that are coming in and, and have saved and have really you know, made an effort to, to get this. And, and the truth is that a lot of these things aren't even all that expensive. There's lots of folks that, uh, that are certainly not wealthy that come in to do even maintenance things, injectables like Botox and filler. And it's not just for the rich. You guys seen the same things, Dr. Few? Absolutely. I, I think that that is, you know, one of the, the statistics that came out from, from our society um, actually a year or so ago was the, you know, the average really the average uh, income for, for patients who are pursuing quote-unquote plastic surgery um, is right around $50,000 a year. And so I, I think the reality is when you look at, at plastic surgery, and again, um, good plastic surgery performed by board-certified plastic surgeons, um, there's a desire to match really what the patient is looking for with uh, with what is in their best interest, and the reality is there are a lot of good good options that can be very very affordable. And over time, you know, I I've talked to patients who spend more on their hair uh, than they will for a given given procedure over a period of time. So I think that's another way to look at it. Well, that's a good point. And in fact, a lot of times people spend more time worrying about who's going to do their hair than who's going to do any of their aesthetic procedures. You know, people going to malls to have injections done going to uh, Dr. Jones because he or she 
did surgery on someone they know at work and it looks good, but they have no idea about Dr. Jones' qualities and training or anything about them. But you know, they know one person that had a nice result and they're ready to sign up. Dr. Stevens, do you see this out in California? We see it. Uh, uh, we see it all over Southern California. We unfortunately have the situation where anyone with an MD, or in some cases a DMD, can do uh, elective cosmetic plastic surgery. And 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 uh, there's big time advertising out here. Uh, we have a dentist in my building. He's now left, but recently he was doing breast augmentations. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, that's probably not the wisest choice. But the thing is, if, you know, a lot of these people are a little bit disingenuous about what their training is, and they might not, you know, they'll call themselves Dr. Smith and not say that Dr. Smith is a dentist, and that's the type of doctor that Dr. Smith is. They're just saying, oh, it's Dr. Smith. They're very coy about referring to themselves in certain ways. You know, they, if, they, if they have a DMD or a DDS and they don't want to let people know, instead of referring to themselves that way, they always refer to themselves as Dr. So-and-so. So, you know, unfortunately, it's caveat emptor. You know, the, the public has to check it out for themselves. But, again, this goes back to how we started the show. We're talking about cosmetic surgeons are not the same as plastic surgeons. Dr. Stevens, what about this? I get this all the time. You know, I'll get called. Um, I do a, a good amount of uh, reconstruction after Mohs surgery or removing cancers from the face. And uh, dermatologists will send their patient to me before the excision, you know, before having the, the little cancer removed, and have me plan doing the reconstruction after they've removed the, the tumor there. And patients will come with this idea that, oh, I'm coming to a plastic surgeon because I don't want to have any scars. You yep. ever hear that? Plastic surgeon Oh, yeah. I hear that all the time. I'm sure that Dr. Hewitt does also. Uh, I think probably all plastic surgeons hear that. And there's this misconception that we can do scarless, plastic, or scarless surgery. And uh, we spend a lot of time educating our patients, all of us do, to the simple fact that whenever there's a cut, there's going to be a scar, and we will work our hardest to make it inconspicuous but, uh, and to hide it in wrinkles and natural curves and uh, the hair and so forth. And we go to great lengths to make the scar inconspicuous, but there's always going to be a scar. Yeah, I, absolutely. And we are, we are artful about putting it in discrete places and trying to minimize the scarring. But I always tell people, look, you get a cut, you're going to have a scar. And, and frankly, a lot of the times the quality of the scar has more to do with the healing capacity of the patient and how well you know, their physiology, how, how their wound healing goes and how their body heals really has more to do with it than what we do as surgeons. And certainly good technique makes a big difference in the quality of what they're going to see in the end. But uh, sometimes I feel like no matter how well we close things, we're really at the mercy of you know, God in the healing process. And, and no matter what, there's going to be a scar. It's just a matter of how visible or obvious uh, or how well hidden it can be. Now, I, I get questions like this. Actually, I get emails, and I know you're both online, and you've got great websites, and you've got a great presence online and social media. And, and I'll get questions every now and then. Someone will email and ask, you know, I, I can't afford what I really want to have, so what I, I'm looking for is, is there any place that maybe some of your residents or some surgeons in training can do my surgery for free? I'm willing to be practiced on in order to have free plastic surgery. You ever hear that, Dr. Few? Yeah, no, I, I think that's the, uh, you know, it, it, it still amazes me how some people still feel they can get something for nothing. Um, and the, the reality is I do feel, and I'm still involved very much so, like, like Dr. Stevens is in, in training. And I think that it's, it's a critical, critical thing. 
Um, but I can I, I can say this very confidently for for Dr. Stevens and myself that um, we we very much so believe in uh, being very involved in oversight um, regarding regarding plastic surgery and in, in education. So the idea that you could go to somebody in training have no oversight and um, and get uh, get the same kind of uh, result that you would get with an experienced person um, that just doesn't that doesn't add up and so I think that there's a you know there's a great deal of uh, of caution that needs to be taken there the other side which I think is is a trend that I'm certainly seeing um, in Chicago is the idea that um, uh, there are non-plastic surgeons who basically will take a course and then part of their certification is getting four or five people who will be more or less test patients. And so the, I, I've taken care of and redone some work on patients who said that they were being part of this certification process and they got it for, they basically got their procedure done for little or nothing. Um, and the results were pretty scary. So I think that's the other thing people have to be aware of. Yeah, and I'll tell you, in Miami, I'm not aware, and I, and I know that the uh, the residents at the universities, there, there's a couple training programs for plastic surgery down here that are actually recognized by the Board of Plastic Surgery, and uh, you can't go to either of those programs and have anything done for free. There's always going to be hospital charges, and no one's going to give those away. There's always going to be anesthesia charges, and, and those people certainly don't work for free, and there's going to be supplies if you're looking for breast augmentations or any other type of implantable device. And there's, there's definitely cost there. Even if a surgeon is willing to donate his or her time for whatever reason, there's still going to be cost. And the idea that, gee, I'll just go to the, the training center and I'll be basically a guinea pig and get it for free is really, first of all, not realistic, not possible. And uh, then... Uh, you know, you're not going to get a great result, even if you can find that, which I sincerely doubt anywhere in this country you'll be able to find. Well, we're going to get on to a, a, another subject here, uh, talking about anesthesia. I mentioned anesthesia not being free. People have this sense that not going to sleep with general anesthesia and being awake for surgery is better. And, and this has been propagated by a number of things, which we'll get on to in just a moment. But, you know, there are, there's an argument that can be said that having sedation, or what a lot of people call twilight, where you're made comfortable, but you are breathing for yourself and in some sense awake, is safer than going to sleep, but that's not always true. What do you think about that, Dr. Stevens? Well, I would agree with that. I oftentimes refer to the heavy sedation with local anesthesia as basically general anesthesia without an airway. Uh, I prefer to do my cases under a general anesthetic with a board-certified uh, anesthesiologist in attendance, and I would suggest that probably 95% of my cases are done in this fashion. The patients are generally not intubated. They don't have a breathing tube in, and they're not on a respirator or a ventilator, but they do have uh, a device in their mouth and their upper throat that helps them breathe, and the anesthesiologist maintains and protects their airway. And I have a lot more confidence in that than simply injecting intravenous medications and sedating the patient and hoping that they maintain their airways. Um, yeah. yeah, particularly on the, on the complicated cases where you need them to be very well controlled. And there's a lot of times that when I do breast augmentation, I like to have the muscles relaxed. And certainly when you do a tummy tuck, it's nice to have the muscles relaxed. So, you know, you can't really use muscle relaxants and sedation. Right. And I, I feel the same way about uh, fine surgery, facelifts and eyelid surgery. I certainly will do uh, isolated eyelid surgery under local, but in general, I don't, I don't want the patient participating in the surgery and moving around and talking 
and uh, and I don't like operating on a moving target, to be perfectly <laughs> candid. Um, and I explain it to the patient. Now, this is surgery that patients want, not surgery that they need. And so our criteria for who we're going to operate on is very different than somebody, say, with acute appendicitis or a, a sure. life-threatening uh, medical or surgical condition. So I'm sure that both of you uh, won't operate on high-risk patients and because this is elective cosmetic aesthetic surgery. Of course, of course. And, you know, the people have this sense that not going to sleep is somehow safer. And there's a natural fear about general anesthesia. But, you know, as you put it, there are a lot of circumstances that where general anesthesia is more controlled and safer, where everything's being monitored and everything's controlled from the start to finish than using sedation. It's not to say you can't do things safely with sedation, but I think that there's a strong argument to say that going to sleep is safer in many instances than just having that twilight anesthesia that people seem to like because they get the sense that somehow that's less anesthesia or you know going to sleep is what's really dangerous. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be back talking about plastic surgery myths here on New Reflections with Plastic Surgery Mythbusters. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here at New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, and we're speaking with Dr. Grant Stevens and Dr. Julius Few, and we're talking about all these myths that are related to plastic surgery. This is Plastic Surgery Mythbusters. We were just talking about sedation and general anesthesia, the idea that it really isn't safe or isn't safer to be awake with sedation than to be under general anesthesia, which a lot of people believe. And it's natural to have fears of anesthesia, but if you're being taken care of by a board-certified anesthesiologist and everything's being monitored, you're safe no matter what you're using. And I think the risk profile is pretty similar between the two techniques. Now, one, of the, one of the problems 
that we have is that there's a, a particular uh, advertising that's done that, that takes advantage of people believing that being awake is better. And we, we did a show, a two-part show, not too long ago on the lifestyle lift and the, the lifestyle lift and the quick lift and other branded uh, facelifts, particularly the lifestyle lift because they advertise so much, really propagates this idea. And, and these are places that are advertising, they're branding a name for a procedure. And in the case of lifestyle lift, it's a facelift. Really, it's just a, a version of a mini facelift. And they sell it as though you can go you know, back to work very quickly. And, uh, the, uh, and you, you can do it under sedation, which, of course, they make it sound uh, is better than, um, than general anesthesia. And we've just talked about how that's not true, but these lifestyle lifts, uh, Dr. Stevens, you guys have lifestyle lift out in Southern California, I'm sure. Certainly we do. I, uh, I've seen three uh, patients in the recent past with lifestyle lift facelifts that were uh, very scarred and uh, inadequate lifts. They needed scar revisions and they needed corrections. I, uh, I don't know any surgeons personally that do the lifestyle lift, um, and I'm not aware of board-certified plastic surgeons that are doing it. Yeah, I don't think they're, you know, all their doctors, to my understanding, are independent contractors, and I don't believe that they have any board-certified plastic surgeons, uh, at least to my knowledge. I'm not, I'm not sure if they do or don't. They certainly don't have very many of them. They do have a number of uh, facial plastic surgeons that operate for them, but th there's a belief out there that because they give away the stuff fairly inexpensively, the Lifestyle Lift and, and these other branded facelifts are being sold at a discount. Uh, that somehow it's a great deal. And uh, I think we showed on our show that sometimes when you go looking for that kind of bargain, you get more than you bargain for. So, you know, these kinds of things, be careful, make sure you know what you're getting into. We all have stories like Dr. Stevens has mentioned. I know Dr. Few, I'm sure you've seen a few of these in your time. I've seen a few in my office as well. So make sure that you're really getting what you're paying for. And, and if you pay a lot less than what it seems to cost everywhere else, you're probably not getting such a bargain. Let's get into Botox. There is so much misunderstanding about Botox. Botox is so popular. You know, over 5 million people have Botox injections in this country every year. And one of the biggest beliefs is that when you get Botox injections, and if you make the choice to start doing Botox injections, you got to do them forever. Because if you ever stop, it's going to be worse than it ever was. You're going to bounce back and go backwards, and everything's going to sag, and you know you'll have more wrinkles than you ever had in your life. Doctor Few, tell us about Botox. What do you think about that? I, you know, I hear that probably every day, and um, they, with that being the, one of the major concerns. And the reality is, the the, the analogy that I I like to give is um, uh, really the skin is kind of like a piece of paper. And the more the more that you that you fold it or or make a crease in it, the deeper the line will be. So if you if you're using if you're using uh, Botox to prevent creasing of the skin or like creasing of a piece of paper, then what you're doing is you're you're minimizing one of the major signs of aging. So if you stop. And, and so if somebody decides they want to take a year and they're not using it, um, all they're doing is they're, they're aging like they naturally would. But it's not like when they've stopped, they're worse. And, and in fact, they're probably significantly better than they would have been had they never used it in the first place. And I've, I've followed patients over the last eight or nine years 
who have been consistent in their use of Botox, and they look, it's interesting, they look better than they did even back, going back years. So it's a, I think it's a different way to look at it. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. You know, Botox is a treatment, it's not a cure, and it treats for the period of time that you're using it. So as long as you're using it, you're going to get the benefit. And unfortunately, Botox and Dysport and, and uh, Zymet and all the, all the ones that are out there, all these botulinum toxins, the neurotoxins, they relax muscle, they can make your skin smooth, but they're only going to work while you're using it. When you stop using it, you just revert back to your natural tendency. But, you know, let, let's, now that we, we know about that, Let's talk about the other thing people say about Botox. What about making you look surprised or, or making you not have any ability to have facial expression? You know, you'll get your Botox injections. People fear that they'll just be a stone face. Dr. Stevens, do you hear these things? Well, we all hear these uh, on a daily basis, and it's the misconceptions of Botox. And, I, and there are some examples of people who have been inappropriately injected or over-injected, and they have sort of the frozen forehead or frozen facial features. But in general, those 5 million people that you mentioned, uh, the overwhelming majority, well into the high 90%, uh, are very, very happy, and they have normal facial features. They may not be able to wrinkle their brow quite as much or uh, and make those lines quite as deeply because the Botox is doing what it's supposed to be doing, but they still show facial animation and normal emotional reactions to, uh, with their facial features. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what is done properly, listen, you're in Southern California, and I'm sure you've had an actor or actress or two come through the office. And these are people that are on camera, they're on stage, and a lot of these people are using Botox. So you certainly couldn't have a career acting if you couldn't use your face and make good facial expressions. So no question about that. And in fact, you bring up an interesting point. When the Botox or Desport is starting to wear off and they're starting to show changes in their forehead, for instance, they'll hustle in and get uh, injections even while they're filming um, <laughs> because they can't look one way at the start of a three-month project and look entirely different at the end. Uh, it has to hang together. Uh, the same is true for... Uh, thermage treatments and various other non-surgicals. I notice a number of them being done right around the awards, uh, yeah. the Academy Awards and that sort of thing. So, uh, I would say the majority of actors here in Southern California uh, receive no various non-surgical treatments, from fillers to neurotoxins, not just Botox, but Desport even. Yeah, I think you know maintenance is a great way to stay on top of things. And as Dr. Few mentioned earlier, I like that the paper analogy because you're not allowing yourself to get too far gone. You know, there are certain, once you allow yourself to age to a certain point, now we're talking about improving instead of preventing. You're often better to prevent ever getting there than you are trying to fix the problems once you have them. Uh, speaking it, of that, I'm seeing a number of younger patients coming in now for uh, Botox even before they have deep wrinkles. And I sure like Dr. Few's example. Dr. Few, may I use that, uh, that wrinkle? <laughs> that you know what? I've used a number of your sayings, Dr. Stevens, so I, it's, it's only fair. Okay, that's a great one. I'm going to use that Monday morning. There you go. Well, we get benefit out of the show just as much as the public does. Listen to what we've got to say. All right, now we're talking about fillers and non-surgical things. Fillers, some people think, like Botox, once you start doing it, if you're doing some Restylane, Perlane, Juvederm, lightening up some of the frown lines, the, the nasal labial folds, the smile lines around your lips. Once you start doing that, well, you've got to do it forever because once you stop, you're going to have that same rebound. People worried about Botox. Now, we know it's not true for Botox. What do you think about these fillers, Dr. Few? 
Well, you know, I, I, that again is a, is another myth that really is not true, and probably in some ways, almost you could say the opposite is true. the the reality The reality is what I, what what we find over time is that uh, patients over say a couple of years actually need less filler to get the same result than they did when they first when they first started. So. There's something dynamic going on, and actually, you're, you, we find that um, you can you can maintain a very nice natural result um, with less volume and actually a less frequent interval of treatment. So, I would argue it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I've seen I would that. concur with that. I completely agree with Dr. Few that over time, when we follow these patients, they're requiring less volume and less frequent injections. So that myth is absolutely false. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think this is one of those things where, it, when you're when you're treating yourself early, you're being a little preemptive, and you're trying to stay youthful and trying to stay fresh with these maintenance and preventative treatments. You're going to get some added benefit. And and what I've seen, just what you guys have seen in your office, is when you're doing these fillers, as you see the patients back, you are needing less. And the reason I believe is that each time you do the injections and you're replacing this material there, you have a natural response in your body, and that natural response builds small amounts of fibrous tissue in that area. You know, your body kind of grows because it's been stimulated in that area by the stuff that you're using to fill and plump the area. So though it's a subtle thing, through the course of multiple injections in the same area, it builds. It builds slowly, it builds subtly, and ultimately you get longer lasting effects and even permanent effect because now we're talking about your own natural tissue. It's sort of the same effect that we see with something like Sculptra where you're, that's the intent of that treatment, is to help your body grow. I think that's happening with all the injectables. Now, let's talk about one other thing. We're talking about non-surgical treatments and, and where there's a, a big question out there. People often ask me, what about stretch marks, Doc? What can you do for stretch marks? And we talk about laser treatments all the time. At least in my estimation, I don't know of anything that really improves stretch marks. You know, maybe I haven't found it yet. Maybe, that, maybe no one's found it yet. Dr. Stevens, do you have any miracle cures for stretch marks? Oh, I sure wish I did. I've tried a number of things, and I don't have any miracle cures. I, I have some anecdotal reports. I've played with some lasers, and I've used some different technologies that are out there. But I, I have not found a reproducible, reliable treatment for stretch marks. Yeah, I think people will have an occasional good result using a cream or something. But, you know, this is something that the, the cosmetic industry preys upon. And there's a brand out there, it's Strivectin that when they first came to the market, they came out with an anti-stretch mark cream. And then they, they were very smart in how they advertised it because they, uh, they put up this big sign, better than Botox, with a question mark on the end of it. Somehow, you know, implying that this stuff that you're going to rub onto your skin is somehow related or has a similar effect to Botox. Now, we all know that's just not the case. In fact, they were at one of our meetings. I forget if it was the, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons or the Aesthetic Society meeting. And I went up to their booth and I said, listen, do you guys really... Are you really saying that this stuff is similar to Botox? And it was so brazen. You know, the representative that was at the booth said, oh, no, doctor, we're asking a question. Is it better than Botox? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that we're talking about. And they're preying upon the idea that people hate their stretch marks. And, and any little glimmer of hope is something someone's going to latch on to. So uh, we're here to tell you, laser treatments, topical treatments, any type of energy treatment, nothing has shown consistent results to improve stretch marks. You know of anything, Dr. Few? 
Yeah, I, Dr. Rubenstein, I did want to throw out about a year ago, maybe even less, uh, the FDA actually did approve a non-ablative laser, which I have, I have some experience with. And it's, not, it's, not an, it's certainly not a miracle cure. It won't make them vanish, I mean, which is what really people are looking for. Um, but you can, make, you can make some subtle improvements. Again, I would not consider it um, a miracle cure. So I think if, if somebody's just looking, and especially if they're combining it with maybe some other treatment, um, you know, such as a surgical procedure, a tummy tuck or something of that sort, where you're tightening the skin as well, um, you, you, can, you can actually get a decent improvement. But I, I think those are a lot of caveats that go with it. Yeah, sure. I mean, listen, tummy tuck, as far as I'm concerned, is a cure for stretch marks. You want to get rid of your stretch marks? Have a tummy tuck. If you have a tissue that it can be removed, if you're a good candidate, for sure, they're going to be gone. At least the, the portion that uh, is in the skin that we're able to remove is gone. So that's a real tangible improvement. But, you know, I think we're talking about very subtle improvements, whether it's topical treatments, laser treatments, energy treatments, any of these things. Unfortunately, we don't have a great answer for stretch marks. And you're talking about skin tightening treatments. There are people that choose to have those as opposed to a facelift. They figure, well, I only have a little bit of, of laxity, so a small amount of sagging skin. Why don't I go get that skin tightening treatment? It's a lot cheaper than a facelift. It'd be the same thing, won't it? Well, well won't it, Dr. Stevens? Well, uh, I assume you're referring to radio frequency tightening devices. I certainly have a lot of experience with Thermage and Exilus, the, uh, the newer one from Prague. And I absolutely see improvement with these radio frequency devices in tightening and lifting the skin. But I'm quick to point out to every patient that these are not equivalent to facelifts, that they, a facelift is the gold standard. Uh, they, they will improve, and I show photos of improvement. And it's sometimes subtle, sometimes it's not subtle. And I'm sure the marketing pieces that we're all exposed to are the less subtle, the more dramatic uh, results. Uh, oftentimes I'll use this in people who've had a facelift before and they're coming in considering a secondary facelift and we'll put it off a couple of years. Or younger people in their 30s and 40s that want a little tightening of their jowls and their neck and they're clearly not quite candidates for surgical facelifting. I just think it's important that we disclose to the patients and to the public the limitations of these non-surgical lifting devices so people can make an informed decision and they get the value that they uh, deserve for their investment. Well, I agree, and I think if you're looking for a small improvement and you'll be happy with just a little bit of tightening or something that's, that's not as significant as surgery and you're willing to take that compromise, they're great choices. But uh, what I'm trying to dispel is the idea that somehow getting an axillus treatment or thermage or any of these treatments for the face is something you can do in lieu of a facelift when you really need the facelift for the best result. Well, I would completely agree. They're not the same. They're not equivalent. A facelift is the gold standard and will give you the most improvement. There are, are non-surgical alternatives that do improve, but they're not as good as the surgery. I, I completely, completely agree. And the one thing that uh, I, I want to even echo and maybe push a little further, because I, I, I'm right in line with what, uh, what both you and Dr. Stevens are saying, the one thing that is happening, and again, I think it's just part of a, of a bit of a shift, is the idea that really people are focusing more on prevention now than ever before. And so you'll, 
I will get patients who will come in with a little bit of early aging change, like a little bit of jowling. They can actually get, I think, a very impressive improvement with either radiofrequency or now there's ultrasound, so it's Ulthera. And these are technologies that I think we're, we're seeing some alteration in the pattern of facial aging. So the person who's 70 years old who everything has fallen and they've, you know, they're at the end stage of facial aging, that person is not going to see necessarily a great benefit to these things. But this, the younger, the new, new group of patients who are coming in, I think there's a real benefit there. Yeah, well, there's, there's no doubt. But the point here is that you're looking for a more modest improvement. You're trying to, I think maintenance is a, is a great way to look at this as opposed to real treatment of a more significant problem. So, you know, skin tightening treatments simply aren't a facelift. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back from this break, we're going to get into a couple of big subjects. Uh, we'll talk about liposuction and particularly smart lipo. Man, is there ever a misunderstood treatment uh, that more so than smart lipo? And we're getting into some breast surgery too. In just a little while, when we come back from this short break here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. Here we are at New Reflections. We're talking about myths in plastic surgery. This is the Plastic Surgery Mythbusters show. 
Give us a call if you have a question or want to hear about something that you think may be true, but you're not really sure. Right now, we're going to get into the area of liposuction. In particular, we're going to start off with smart lipo. In my office, every week, I'll have one or two people come in and they'll say, Doc, you know, I want to get rid of this extra fat, but I don't want to have liposuction. I, I'm really, I, th I think liposuction is dangerous. I don't want to go and have any liposuction. I'm a little scared of it, but I want to have smart lipo. What are your thoughts about that, Dr. Stevens? Well, I think the first thing to point out is smart lipo is just a term for liposuction that is done uh, in addition to a, a laser fiber being placed underneath the skin and directed underneath uh, to the backside of the skin, if you will. The, the main uh, proponents believe that, that by applying this laser energy, you can uh, dissolve some of the fat and facilitate the removal of the fat when one does the liposuction, and also perhaps tighten, uh, the laser energy may tighten the skin by heating the backside of the skin. And there's some evidence to suggest this is true. Uh, the key thing, though, is smart lipo is lipo. It is a form of liposuction. And when patients say, I don't want liposuction, I want smart lipo, the first thing we need to point out is that smart lipo is liposuction. Uh, it usually takes longer. It oftentimes is more expensive because one has to pay for the technology, the laser energy, the smart lipo box costs a lot of money. Generally, that money needs to be recouped by the surgeon. Uh, also, this idea that smart lipo, lipo can be done under local anesthesia, whereas traditional lipo needs to be done under general, is equally false. Uh, I've done smart lipo. I have a smart lipo machine, and I do use it occasionally when I want to tighten the skin. I've not been impressed that it has uh, that it does the things that the company claims it does. When when we see these pictures of people with big floppy uh, turkey gobbler necks preoperatively, and then magically post-operative after a alleged smart lipo. The neck is the you know, youthful 20-year-old neck. That's clearly <laughs> preposterous. It's photoshopping yeah. or, or a facelift that hasn't been disclosed. And they, right. they have right. shown those photos publicly. Um, and, and, and it's unethical and unjustified. And they need to disclose that the patient, in fact, has had a facelift. Yeah, sure. Well, this, that's, not, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, smart lipo, and it, it's not really... I mean, Sinusure is the company that makes smart lipo. And, and they're not really directly responsible for the advertising efforts that are put out by, uh, by the practitioners that use the machines, but they do, in, in their training materials and in the information that they, that they put out, talk about uh, the benefit of tightening the skin, and you mentioned it a little bit. And while there, are, there is anecdotal evidence and there are some papers that suggest that there is some skin tightening going on, there really has never been a well written a well-designed study that looks and shows conclusive, incontrovertible evidence that there's any more skin tightening with a laser-assisted liposuction than there is with regular liposuction. And, you know, I think the jury's out on that, but that doesn't stop people from advertising how you're going to get skin tightening from it. And you're going to, again, this goes back to the, uh, you know, the lasers not being a facelift. You, it's just not the same. You're not going to get you know, tissue tightening to the, uh, to the point that it's reliably predictable and you can say you're going to get it. So just be careful. If you think about having these things done, the, the take-home message about smart lipo is it is liposuction. And just like Dr. Stevens said, it's liposuction with the addition of a laser. And then there's a sense that, that because it's advertised this way, that somehow smart lipo is safer. Actually, I think the addition of a laser energy to what you would normally do increases the, the chance for complications, not decrease. So I would argue that adding a laser and doing laser liposuction is not safer, and it's, it's possibly a little more risky.
but it's still a good choice in the right hands when used for proper indications. And you know, if you're thinking about having smart lipo or slim lipo or lipotite or any of the other uh, technologies, or you're having that used in your procedure, it's perfectly okay when done with a properly trained, well-experienced surgeon and doing it for the right reasons. Just don't expect your skin to, you know, for example, don't go to a doctor that talks to you about, well, gee, you really should have a tummy tuck. And you go to three, four plastic surgeons, they say, well, you really need a tummy tuck uh, to tighten up your, your tummy skin. Don't go and choose to have a laser liposuction in the hopes that somehow the skin's going to tighten in enough where you won't need a tummy tuck. That's just never going to happen. But that is a little bit of what, uh, of what you might hear, you might ha see implied in advertising. So be careful. Smart lipo is liposuction. It's probably not any safer and possibly a little more risky than regular liposuction. Still not a bad choice. Now, people think that liposuction in general is dangerous. Now, any operation is dangerous, but liposuction, when you, when you follow the, the proper guidelines, you have good experience, and you're using good judgment, is just as safe as any other procedure we do. What do you think about that, Dr. Few? We hear liposuction is a more dangerous procedure than anything else. And the other thing is people talk about treating cellulite and losing weight. What about that with liposuction? Well, I, um, I, I think that you're, you're touching on, a, on a, a key series of points. I mean, the reality is it's still liposuction is still one of the most commonly performed procedures in the world um, with a very, very strong track record that goes over more than, more than 20, 30 years. Um, and so I do want to make one comment to, the, to what you had said previously about the laser, and I do use slim, slim liposuction. I think the key thing that you said and Dr. Stevens said is it's more important or it's really more about the, the person, the operator, than the technology, whether it be liposuction, traditionally done, laser, uh, radiofrequency. I mean, there are a variety of technologies that are being used in, in more or less coupling with liposuction. And I would argue the most important thing is getting someone who is skilled, ideally board certified in plastic surgery, who is using the tool as, as an accessory to try to get the best result for you. And that's going to be the most critical thing. But to go back to your, your direct question, I, yeah, I, I think it's a hugely false myth that liposuction is dangerous. Um, when it's done properly. It is not a weight loss tool. It should not be used that way, in my, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, but when it's placed in the appropriate way, done by the appropriate individual, I think the results are very predictable. What about cellulite? Uh, people often ask me, uh, you know, I, I do want to reduce all this extra fat, but then what about this cellulite I have in the back of my thighs? Is this going to help that? It, it, you know, it, it, by getting rid of some of the, the fat that is kind of pushing out or stretching out the skin, sometimes you can make that better. But is, it, is liposuction uh, an application alone that will cure cellulite, which is really what patients will often come in asking for? What can you do to cure this? Um, I'm very quick to say, to my knowledge, there's really nothing that cures it. There are things that maybe we can do to kind of hide it or make it less noticeable, um, but there's, there's not a, a miracle cure for it at this point in time. Yeah, I think cellulite goes up there with stretch marks. We really don't have a good treatment that makes significant changes in it as yet. And, and if we did, boy, whoever comes up with that can retire almost instantly because there's going to be a, a tremendous line of people waiting in every office to have that done. It's one of the banes of everyone's existence. 
unfortunately, you know, as people who specialize in aesthetic improvements and making people look better and feel better about themselves, this is not something we can help a whole lot with. Uh, now, there's another misconception about liposuction is you take the fat out in your, in your tummy and most people come, I think we'd agree, that the average person comes and they want it taken from their tummy, from their sides, and from the, the love handles, the flanks in the back. And that's probably the most common areas that liposuction is performed upon. And uh, people get this idea that, well, you know, when you take the fat out from one space, it just ends up coming back to others. What about that, Dr. Stevens? Do you hear that? Oh, we hear that all the time. And uh, sometimes people will say, if you take it from my buttocks, will my breast get larger? And, and I, I let patients know that they, if they gain weight, they are going to gain some fat in other places. Typically, it won't come back to where I've done the liposuction, but it absolutely has to go someplace, and it goes to those secondary or tertiary drop-off places. And I have seen people have a lower abdominal liposuction in their 20s and come back and see me in their 40s, and now they have a, a roll of fat right below their breasts and their upper abdomen. So it isn't that the liposuction causes the, the new fat deposition. It's the weight gain that causes the new fat deposition. If you gain 20 pounds, that's 40, uh, excuse me, 20 pounds is uh, 80 cubes of butter, and it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. You know, if someone's eating 80 cubes of butter to gain those 20 pounds, they got bigger problems. No, I'm just trying to show you the volume. I mean, the one way to no, I know. I'm always impressed with what you know what 10 pounds looks like. You go to the market and pull out 10 pounds of butter and set it down there on your cart, and that's what 10 pounds of fat looks like in your belly or yes, wherever, the- in your hips and your face and so forth. And it just seems to me this isn't rocket science. You have liposuction, you lose your problem area, and then if you have some dietary. Uh, lapses and you gain 10 pounds even, it's going to go someplace and that's why your belt gets a little tighter or your face gets a little chubbier and that sort of thing. But it isn't the liposuction. The key thing is it's not the liposuction that causes the fat. It's uh, when we eat too much and exercise too little. Well, you know, it, it's, it's like the, the old joke. Is, you know, the wife uh, asks the husband, does this dress make me fat? And he says, no, it's your fat that makes you fat. You know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> well, I've never used that one, and I just celebrated my 34th wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't suggest, I did say it's an old joke. I wouldn't be saying that to anybody. I don't suggest anyone say that to their spouse. Uh, you know, what I tell my patients is, it's, like you said, Dr. Steen, it's not the liposuction that's the problem. The liposuction changes proportions of fat in the body. You know, if we do liposuction of the tummy, the hips, and the flanks, we're reducing the total amount of fat in that area. You're never getting all the fat out, so you can actually gain weight in the area where we've done liposuction before. You know, a fat cell has a tremendous capacity to store extra fat. It's just the proportion of the numbers of fat cells in each area that are changing. So when you take out a whole bunch of fat from the tummy, and from the hips and the flanks, you've now made the amount of fat cells in that area less than it used to be, and proportionally less than the rest of the body. So when you do gain weight, and it is the weight gain that makes the fat come on, not the liposuction, but when you do gain weight, that weight and that extra fat is likely to go proportionally all over the body. It's just that in the areas where you haven't done liposuction, you have all the fat cells you were born with in that area, and you had a portion of them removed in the areas where you have done liposuction. So when you gain the weight and you gain the fat, it gains throughout your body, but proportional to the number of fat cells you have in each area. So it looks like you're getting heavier in other areas. The truth is you're gaining it in the areas where you had the liposuction done. You just got less, less places to put it than you used to have, so it looks like it's going to other places. That's a big misconception. And bottom line is, if you have liposuction and you want to look good, take care of yourself. Don't gain the weight, and you're going to have a a nice result and enjoy it for the rest of your life. 
let's get on to breast surgery. There's a big misconception that, that people uh, frequently ask about. Someone will come in, and frequently it's a mom, uh, she has a couple of kids, and she's had some sagging of her breasts and loss of volume. The atrophy of the breasts kind of shrinks away after she's done breastfeeding a couple babies. And uh, she says, well, you know, I don't want to have a breast lift. I just want to have uh, an augmentation. So why don't we just put in a little bit bigger implant, and that'll give me the lift that I want. What do you think about that, Dr. Few? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I, I, I hear that too much as well. I, you know, the, the reality is if you put in big implants and a very droopy breast, you're just going to have a ball on the chest with the breast hanging off of it. And um, the, the reality is, um, again, it goes back to our common theme that it's more important who's, who's doing the surgery um, than what tools are being used. I would say that trying to put in an oversized implant alone to lift the breast is not conceptually a good, a good way to go. There are some borderline cases that certainly I take care of who, you know, you could go either way with, with regards to doing a lift or combining the lift with the implant. Um, and so in those cases, I will give patients uh, a little bit of room, and I'll say let's, we can try with the implant, not going oversized, but just with a traditional-sized, appropriate-sized implant, and then we can see what you need after that if it's a borderline case. Sure, yeah, and, and you can get an illusion of a breast lift or perhaps even a, a real elevation of where the nipple is by putting an implant in into the right shape and, and size of breast and putting the right implant in to match the, the, the breast properly. But you're not going to get a real lift with a breast implant. I, I think that's the message. And, you know, when we're talking about breast reductions, there's a lot of confusion about breast reduction, breast lift. Really, just to clear it up for everyone, a breast reduction is making the breast smaller, but you're always trying to make a beautiful breast at the end. So you're going to get a lift when having a reduction. You're going to have a smaller breast at the end of a breast reduction than you will just having a breast lift. Now, people worry about breastfeeding after breast surgery. And uh, Dr. Stevens, what do you tell your patients? They worry. There's three things that, that I always talk to patients about. One is cancer detection, two is uh, uh, breastfeeding, and three is nipple sensation. You want to tackle those for us? Sure. Sure. Happy to. Well, not all breast surgery is created equal. That, equal. That's for sure. And as Dr. Few was saying, it's the, it's the surgeon that matters for the most part. But I'm going to answer these questions as a board-certified plastic surgeon. But my first caution, note of caution would be don't be suckered in by non-board-certified plastic surgeons who say that they can lift your breast, which is putting in a large breast implant. Uh, when you put a large breast, Im or a breast implant in a saggy breast that's below the, the fold, the natural fold where the breast attaches to the chest wall, you trade a saggy small breast for a saggy large breast, and it's usually a larger, even more saggy breast. So I agree with what Dr. Few and you were saying on the first question. As it relates to sensation, I found that the incidence of sensory changes to the breast is very, very low when one does an augmentation or a mastopexy breast lift or a lift and reduction. Um, in terms of, uh, terms of breastfeeding, we have numerous patients who successfully breastfeed after all three of those types of operations. That's an enlargement or a lift or a lift with a reduction. Um, and then uh, finally, the last one you were talking about was what? Sensation, breastfeeding, and, oh, cancer detection. I think one needs to be mindful that implants can interfere with, uh, with visualization of the entire breast mount, and it's important to have adequate mammography performed with additional views Eklund or pushback views that help 
the radiologist visualize the breast tissue. So I think it's important to let the radiologist and the tech know that you have breast implants prior to having the mammogram and to have yearly mammograms and frequent breast examinations by the patient herself as well as by her, her doctors, her obstetrician gynecologist, as well as the plastic surgeon. Uh, but I'm, I'm not um, aware of any data that would suggest that women who've had breast surgery are at higher risk uh, or at, uh, present with advanced uh, disease or high, have a higher likelihood of succumbing to their breast cancer. Yeah, it's never, implants have never been shown to increase the incidence of breast cancer. In fact, there, I'm aware of one paper that suggested that they might even be protective because of helping with self-exams and bringing tumors, making them easier to feel. I don't know if I buy into that either, but certainly I don't think it makes the risk for breast cancer any higher than the patient's natural risk. We're coming to the end of the show, and we're talking about silicone breast implants and the idea that somehow silicone is unsafe, uh, more less safe than saline. I think I hear that less and less as people understand that implants are generally the same. The safety profile of a silicone breast implant is the same safety profile as a, as a saline-filled breast implant. And uh, I think that that's less believed recently than it had been in the past. We all understand that breast implants are safe devices. The FDA wouldn't let us use them if that weren't the case. And they're probably the most tracked and studied device ever put into a human being. Uh, so we, we talked about so many things. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. We've been talking with Dr. Grant Stevens, with Dr. Julius Few, both board-certified plastic surgeons, certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery and members of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons and the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, very involved in those societies. These are great experts. We're privileged to have them on the show. Thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Mythbusters. Our next show is going to be called Take It Off. Pounds, that is. We're talking about losing weight. We'll, be, we'll have experts on weight loss surgery, whether it's the lap band, the sleeve, gastric bypass. We're going to talk about taking off all those unhealthy pounds, helping you with procedures. Join us again on our next show. You've been listening to New Reflections. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.